and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And first off, I have to say to whoever the person was who was, who was responsible for me getting sick after my travels, I didn't like you before I came in contact with you. I like you even less now. I think I have a reason to be more angry with said person. You have brought me some rare strain of Romanian-Italian death flu that I'm not appreciative of. No, my guess actually is that where this came from, of all of the travels that I did, was on the leg traveling from Detroit to Cleveland. No. That's my theory. This is this is Detroit flu. No, it is a rare... Romanian-Italian death flu. Well, we will do our best not to um, sniffle and cough too much into our microphones as we record this week. Um, Where we're back briefly for a week and then don't have a show next week because we will be down at Mid-Ohio for IndyCar. Correct. Um, Hopefully we will get some live video in while we're down there. We will do our best. I don't know if we're going to pull it off. It was a struggle last year, but we'll try it and see what we can do. We're not above struggling. See also, recording through death flu. (laughs) We're strong. So first off, before we get to anything when it comes to stories, we've got breaking news. The fifth so, dentist caved and Trident's now five for five? No, I didn't ask you to guess what. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, last night, uh, late last night, Ferrari announced that Sergio Marchionne has left his role as Fiat and Ferrari CEO with immediate effect due to unexpected complications from shoulder surgery that has left him unable to return to work. Oh, I hope he's okay. Yeah. Now, a proposal has been put forward for Mike Manley, who is currently the head of the Jeep company, to be proposed as the new Fiat CEO at the next shareholders meeting. However, in the meantime, he has been given full authority to act with all the powers of CEO in Mr. Marcioni's absence. Now, over at Ferrari, Fiat heir John Elkin has been named as the new chairman and the Marinello company has said he will propose to shareholders that former Philip Morris chairman... Louis Carey Camilleri becomes the new CEO. Camilleri has already been given the powers to ensure the current oper- or the company's operations continue until he has been formally appointed to the role. So the close tie-in between Fiat, Chrysler, and Ferrari and Philip Morris continues to get even tighter. Well, they've been very, very close bedfellows for years. Yeah. So... Yeah, hopefully uh, Mr. Marchione is doing well. Uh, Very unexpected that this occurred. It makes you kind of wonder what happened during shoulder surgery that makes him not be able to return to work. Yeah. So in other departure news. Okay. This is our departure segment. So long, farewell, I'll feed her sing, goodbye. Um, Yeah, I don't think that this was nearly that friendly. Don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. Probably along those lines. So 
Do you recognize the name Santino Ferrucci? No. Okay. Should I? Santino Ferrucci, a couple of years ago, uh, first off, despite the name, he is an American driver. He's an Italian-American driver, but he's an American driver, but was named by Haas as their development, their first development driver. Okay. He's still technically part of the Haas team. He had been driving for the Trident Motorsport Formula 2 team. Okay. Also, this past year, he drove for... Um, Oh, I'm not sure who, who he got the seat for. But uh, this year he drove in a Detroit uh, duel in Detroit for IndyCar on uh, June from June 1st to the 3rd. Um, however, while at Silverstone, at the Formula 2 weekend at Silverstone, he earned himself a two-race ban, uh, banned from driving in both the Hungaro Ring and Spa event, or spa event after driving into the left rear of his teammate Arjun Manny's car during the cool down lap after the Silverstone sprint race. Ouch. Howsomever. Howsomever. He also was fined 66,000 euros for driving without a glove on while also holding a mobile phone as he drove between paddocks in his F2 car. As a result of all of this great action that he has taken, the Trident Formula 2 team has fired him. In addition, they also say that he hasn't paid for his seat. So they're a little ticked at him. Um, according to the statement from Trident that they have communicated to Santino Ferrucci and to his guarantor, a company represented by Mr. Michael Ferrucci, the termination of the contract with the team. This decision was motivated by the events which are now in the public domain that occurred at Silverstone as well as by the serious breach of driver's payment obligations. Since the beginning of the championship, the driver justified his payment default with alleged failure by his sponsors to fulfill his obligations. It seems weird that, despite such kind of issues, Santino Ferrucci had the resources needed to enter the Detroit IndyCar race from June 1st to 3rd, while at the same time, he was not honoring his agreement with Trident Motorsport. Trident gave mandate to its lawyers in order to activate all the procedures needed to fully recover its credits toward the driver. So it sounds like he was going to be fired whether or not he behaved badly because he didn't pay for his seat. And it all just happened at once. And so, yeah. Santino decided that he was going out in a blaze of glory and the hell with all those rules. And he never liked this Arjun guy anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, they, they teach people not to burn bridges when they start to leave places. Perhaps they for failed to teach this guy that. I guess. Now, we do not have word as to what Haas will be doing and what his final future is within the Haas organization. Haas has said that they continue to um, evaluate the conditions around the current situation and will make a decision in the future. Okay. But you're not really much of a development driver if you don't have a seat. Exactly. Just saying. Just saying. Also out of a job, Eric Boulier. Yes, that was a little shocking. Now, just a reminder, and if you are watching our, our Facebook page, we pointed this out. 
just prior to the French Grand Prix, Eric Boulier said that he had absolutely no intentions to leave the team and was going to stay with them to see the team through their current struggles. Fast forward a week later, and he has resigned from the team. Possibly um, encouraged to resign so that they didn't throw him out. Possibly. Now, this isn't the first time that Eric Boulier has left mid-season from a team, is it? Um, did he leave mid-season from uh, Lotus to join uh, McLaren? I believe he did. I think he had to take some gardening leave between the two. But he did leave Lotus mid-season after declaring that he was not going to leave Lotus. I didn't remember that whole thing. But Lotus was was on an upswing at that point. This was before the money ran out. and they While they were still outspending yeah. their budget. Well, they were, you know funding it on credit of course but i believe that he did leave lotus mid-season in in a midst of oddity so you know despite saying in france that he had no intention of leaving this team and then you know he needed to stay with him to see him through the statement that he released uh just prior to silverstone was that i am very proud to have worked with such a brilliant team over the past four years but I recognize now is the right time for me to set, step down. I want to wish everyone at McLaren the best for the remainder of the season and for the future. Two weeks ago, nope, we're staying with it. But now, now is the time. Well, he saw them through their hard times in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> their struggles are over now. So Eric felt good to be able to leave. Now, Zach Brown said that... Uh, in, in, in addition to all of this, uh, announced a, a full overhaul of their leadership structure, a bit more simplified. Um, Zach said that uh, the result was of the problems that they have had this year was the result of system and structural causes that required a major change from within. The performance of the MCL 33 in 2018 has not met the expectations of anyone at McLaren, especially our loyal fans. I'm glad to hear that the performance level that they have seen this year did not meet their expectations. Well, I'm glad that because if I'm this glad, was meeting yeah. expectations, we need to really discuss about their expectations. Yeah. Um, he says, this is not the fault of the hundreds of committed and hardworking men and women at McLaren. With today's announcement, we start to address those issues head on and take the first step on our road to recovery. I would like to thank, take this opportunity on behalf of the entire team to thank Eric for his service and contribution to McLaren and wish him well for his future endeavors. Now, the question that I have, because I, I really I, I don't understand this. He says that it is not the fault of the hundreds of committed and hardworking men and women at McLaren. Now, not to knock the folks who work for McLaren, mm -hmm. but... If the problems with the car are not their fault, whose fault is it? Honda's. <laughs> are, are, are we not quite done blaming Honda yet? I, I, I don't get it. Um, maybe begin light of the departure of Mr. Boulier. We're trying to lay all the blame at his feet. I mean, it's always important to lay blame at people who have already departed. Um, that way you build unity and morale within a team. Yeah, but if you listen to what Zach say, the big problem that they have here, 
They don't have the same level of downforce this year as last year. Why do they... Who designed the aerodynamics for the new car? Honda? Uh, Eric? <laughs> Somebody else that was in the mass exodus of people fleeing, you know, rats fleeing the sinking ship? I mean, they've lost a lot of talent. So any one of those people could be the one that designed the downforce of the car. But like I have kept saying that universally the media at large has poo-pooed me on. I believe that the problems McLaren are facing today are the same problems that they've been dealing with for a long time that were utterly and completely masked by the fact that they had a failing engine. Zach actually went on to talk a little more about the chassis issue here. So Zach said, we've identified an area in which our car this year is weaker than last year. Did we have the best chassis last year? No, definitely not. Did we have a better chassis? It would be hard to say definitively yes or no, but we know we have less downforce than last year. So this is the first time that somebody at McLaren has acknowledged that maybe, just maybe, they didn't have the best chassis. Because they did turn around and say a couple times last year, we believe our chassis is the best on the grid. It's just this, this engine. Well, it, I have to admit, and I'm sorry, we have not spoken about this in our pre-show prep, but Zach and I have been on the on the phone recently. Really? Well, I've been explaining to him that he's had systemic problems with McLaren from the get-go and that it was not solely Honda's issue and that the, the Honda failing engine was masking the greater problems within McLaren. And he needed to start to own that. So this is this is months of coaching by me to Zach personally to get him to understand that just because he says he has the best car on the grid and the best chassis on the grid doesn't actually mean that's reality. Okay. So the changes that have happened. So all of the things that have occurred so far since the departure of Eric Bouye. And, and you, you can look for the commonality here. So first of all, in the restructure, Andrea Stella, who joined McLaren in 2015 with Fernando Alonso from Ferrari, was promoted to director with responsibility for the race team at the Grand Prix. Okay. Also, former IndyCar uh, champion Gil de Ferran has been named the sporting director who will work with Stella at race weekends. Gil de Ferran served as Fernando's driving coach in his ramp up for IndyCar or, or for the Indian, Indianapolis 500 last year. Ah. Do you see the connection? That All things Fernando. Right. So do you think this is a bid to try to make this team so Fernando centric that Fernando stays? Because I'm still betting Fernando leaves at the end of the season. I, I, I'm still thinking he leaves Formula One. I'm not convinced he leaves the McLaren organization. And I think that's something to be very careful about. And, and I'll get to that in a little bit. But in terms of the restructuring on the team, yeah, I do think in some respect this was done to make Fernando happy. But I also believe, and I'm not positive on this because I don't remember, it was a few weeks ago. Um, but I believe Gilda Ferran also has connections to Zach Brown's IMSA team. 
So Eddie Jordan, uh, around Silverstone, uh, took McLaren to task pretty hard on Channel Four, and then went and proceeded after they after Channel Four ed- aired that piece, pulled Zach Brown aside with Eddie Jordan for an on-air interview, which was kind of awesome. That's always a good but thing. Big, I love when they do that. The big co- takeaway that Eddie had from his piece is. If you look at the new leadership structure around McLaren and the format around McLaren, one, these are folks that are close with Fernando and close also with Zach Brown. And is this so much a change that will revitalize the team or is this jobs for a whole bunch of buddies? Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. However, Zach also admits that the issues that they've got in order to fix the team and get them up to a winning format is going to take several years. This is He does not expect the team to be challenging for championships in 19 or probably even 20. Well, it's a rebuilding decade. Well... On one hand, again, this is the first acknowledgement over at McLaren that they are not this close from ending up on the podium. They've got a lot of work to do. They have broken a lot of things over the last couple of years. Now, I think that's part of the reason why they're in such trouble is because they didn't want to acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And they have driven things deeper into the ditch instead of pulling out. But the other is, again... Is the, as Eddie says, is this the right structure to fix the problem? And I don't know. I don't know enough about these people that have been brought in to know whether or not that this is the right direction. I have no idea about is this going to solve their problems. I'm just glad that they're starting to admit that they have problems. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a, a bit of an aside, but it was an interesting comment that got made, we've often talked, often, it's a bloke in the bird staple, um, about how Fernando's greatest um, problem is Fernando's choices. It, he has had yeah. a series of ill-timed choices. And in sharp contrast with the signing, the new contract that Lewis just signed with Mercedes, one of the things that became very notable to me is Lewis has caught the wave the right direction. He left McLaren as McLaren was spiraling and went to a team that was, when he signed originally, was a mid-pack team. And now they're at the top of their game. It's almost as if Lewis has made the right choices going up and Fernando has been successful despite Fernando. <laughs> Um, it was an interesting little con- uh, contrast to me, but I think that some of the problems McLaren is facing is that they've put their eggs in the Fernando basket. Mm, partially. I mean, the, the reality is they've been on this downswing since arguably 2012 when they had the fastest car and threw the season away. Yep. And then 2013 came up with, well, failed to implement a good suspension, and it just continued to go downhill from there. Right. So, yeah. So, 
All that being said, Zach Brown also says that they have not decided against fielding an IndyCar team next year. Well, I still think that that may be a a way to allow Fernando to have an IndyCar year. I don't. I just don't believe Fernando is going to be in Formula One next year. I think he's going to go to IndyCar because of the combination of the possibility of winning the 500 and the triple crown that comes there, but also the the dangle of saying I'm a double world champion in Formula One and then go to dominate IndyCar and win the championship there. I think that some of it, some of it is I think McLaren's realizing, not not that. I mean, greater McLaren, not so much Formula One McLaren, that if they want to be a luxury car brand or, or a, a supercar brand, they need a presence in the U.S. Is IndyCar the right way to go and establish themselves? I don't know. Mm. Yes, it does give them the ability to keep Fernando in the stable if they decide to go that route, but it also means that they've got to pair up with Honda again. Oh, that's true. Because I can't imagine them pairing up with Chevy. That's some of it, but they ran the Honda last year. Right. But they had a partnership with Honda. Yeah. Just And but, keep in mind, the Honda that runs in IndyCar is not the Honda that runs in Formula One. So the question becomes, how badly did they burn the bridge? Well, it, it, it's not just that, but it's also that McLaren apparently has a very close tie with Andretti Herta. Andretti Herta is a Honda team. Right. So there's a probability that if McLaren was going to go and introduce themselves into IndyCar, there would be some kind of alliance with Andretti Herta and by default, the Honda engine. So remember also a few weeks ago, actually I believe it was the last time we recorded, um, Toto Wolf saying that um, Sebastian Vettel is making too many mistakes. And if he's going to win the championship, he has to make less mistakes. Yep. Well, after Silverstone, Toto Wolff is saying, hey, Mercedes has made too many mistakes. If we're going to win the championship, we need to make less mistakes. And that's the biggest uh, no-brainer statement ever made. Um, yes. I just thought that was... I, I saw the headline and I'm like... Wait, didn't I just read this? <laughs> I, just, I, I thought I just saw this. Yep. Um, also, while we're talking about Mercedes, if you have not heard, Lewis Hamilton has uh, signed a two-year deal with McLaren for eighty million dollars, working out to or eighty million is it eighty million dollars or eighty million pounds? Eighty million pounds, and it's reported, and we don't know all of the details because they're secret. But it works out to roughly forty million pounds a year. Um, and it's an incredible deal. Um, but there's probably performance bonuses and things like that in that. So I wouldn't expect him to be headed to the Bank of Monaco with 40 million pounds. Um, in the same time, right on the heels of the Lewis announcement, Valtteri has signed his deal for one year. Yeah, unfortunately it's one year and... You know, there, there was discussion about this this week in the pre-race coverage to qualifying where 
David Cothart said that this is Mercedes trying to give themselves some flexibility. Um, yes and no. I think he's earned a two-year deal. There's no reason to pull him out um, to, to, to keep playing these games. And if you know Daniel Ricciardo gets a two-plus-year deal, there shouldn't be any reason for any need for flexibility for Valtteri around Valtteri's contract. I don't know. Honestly, I, I'm surprised that it was not a one-year deal with an option for a, a second, that they could exercise the option. That's what really surprised me. And they've yet to do that. Um, and so what I'm wondering is if the Mercedes concept is that they're keeping Valtteri on his toes by keeping him in these successive one-year deals um, and not letting him get comfortable. Because he's, I mean, he's definitely stepped up. And I think some of it is that constant need to prove that he's worthy of the seat. Um, and I wonder if that's not some back-of-the-mind philosophy that Mercedes has got. That may be to some extent. I think the other thing is they may be looking to see how Ocon shakes out. Because at this point, I don't see them handing a seat to Pascal Verlein. No, he's not even driving this year. So I think that Verline's career is done in Formula One. Um, Ocon definitely has some potential. Um, and he, by being a Mercedes development driver, you know, is that what they're thinking? But Ocon is in talks about possibly uh, driving for Renault. Well, we're, we're going to get to that in a little bit because we've got all kinds of other silly season. I still had more to talk about with Lewis. Okay, talk um, more about Lewis. First of all, Lewis has acknowledged that a team approached him to shift over. Yes. Um, he was asked as to whether or, not it would, whether or not Ferrari or Red Bull had tried to sign him, and he did acknowledge that another team approached him. My guess would be it's Ferrari because Ferrari would be the one that would pay him the numbers he would be looking for, but he turned it down. Mm -hmm. The other thing that, that's really important to point out is that this is only a two-year deal, which means it takes him to 2020. Right. With a major rule shift forecast for 2021. Which I think, again, is proof that Lewis is really rather canny about his um, career. 2020 could be a great time for Lewis to retire and pursue some of his other pursuits um, if the rule change – because keep in mind, there's so much unknown about the rules change. But he may also be looking at who is prepping for those rules changes the best. And that's that's exactly when he jumped ship to go to Mercedes yeah. was at a rules change when he knew that Mercedes had a – what, two-year well, leg up on everybody did, else? He did the jump the year before the rule change. They were still on... He, his his first year with Mercedes was the last year with the V8 engine. Right. And then we went and, and had the rule change the following year. Mm-hmm. So, but he timed that well. And I think he's looking at that, too. And I think that the two-year deal is giving him some flexibility that he wants. Keep in mind, he negotiates his own contracts. So yeah. I think this is all about his own flexibility. Uh, Vettel's only on a two-more-year deal with Ferrari. So we're going to have some big names that come up in 2020 perched on that rules change. Um, and I think that if it's the red team that approached... Hamilton I think quite frankly 
Hamilton does not want to be the number two driver on a team. And the Ferrari team is very Vettel-centric. Oh, absolutely. To, to get an idea of how Vettel-centric they are. You know, I, I was in Maranello last weekend. I was in Modena last weekend. And in particular, over at Modena at the Enzo Ferrari Museum, not to be confused with the Ferrari Museum over in Maranello, although they're, they're, they are related and, and you can buy admission to both in one shot. The video, the, the Ferrari promotional video, commercial promotional video that was shown at the Enzo Ferrari Museum, which is probably three to five minutes long, there was, because F- Formula One is a big piece of Ferrari. Mm-hmm. All the lifestyle stuff that they showed, all of the other stuff, quite a bit of Sebastian Vettel, and whether it was driving, whether it was wandering through the paddock in the lifestyle attire, all of the other various bits, quite a bit of Sebastian Vettel and like one two-second shot of Kimi Räikkönen. That's it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all Vettel all the time. And Ferrari has historically proven that they really can only back one driver at a time. Now, they haven't completely blown off Kimi. Um, over at the Ferrari Museum in Maranello, in the room that is dedicated to their Formula One champions, Kimi does have a spot there. He's recognized there, along with all of their other champions. Um, his car is enshrined in a museum as a championship-winning car. So he's not completely ignored. It, it's modern Kimi that's ignored. Yes. It's old Kimi they're, they're, they're good with. Yes. What have you done for me lately? Well, that is the question everybody asks. <laughs> um. Also, just a, a, a real quick correction looking at the BBC's reporting on Valtteri's contract. Uh, it is a one-year deal with an option for the second year. Oh, okay. So he does have an option for 2020 available. Thank it's you for that correction because everybody's reporting that it's a one-year deal without mentioning the option. I think that option is key. Yeah, th- th- that's according to uh, Andy Benson over at the BBC. Thank you. I appreciate the real-time fact-checking that goes on in our show. Yes. Um, Red Bull has said that they believe that now that Lewis has signed his contract, uh, that that will break some of the logjam up, and uh, Daniel will sign his contract soon. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel really hasn't committed just yet. He says he hopes it's going to be soon. Which, in a way, kind of makes me wonder as to whether or not Ferrari's talking to him. Interesting. Because that could be... The, I, I truly can't see Daniel moving to McLaren. Mm-mm. That That's the other one. He He's acknowledged that McLaren has approached him. He's acknowledged that Ferrari has approached him. Um, and I think he's even acknowledged that McLaren has offered him a lot of money to come over there. I just can't see... Daniel taking that on. I can't imagine going to McLaren, especially in light of the Zach Brown statements that they're years away from being competitive. But I'm not entirely sure that going to Ferrari is the right move for Daniel either. So it'll be an interesting well, the, the thing. The thing to roll around there, and again, we don't know because Ferrari being Ferrari and, and preferring to have a, dedica- a true declared number one driver. But what we also know about Ferrari is that they throw their support against early on to the driver that is doing better. And the one time that we have seen 
Daniel and Sebastian in matching cars. Daniel handily beats Seb. Yeah. I don't know. I think it'll be interesting. I think it will be an interesting thing. But I don't know what game is being played. If it's on the Red Bull side or if it's on Daniel's side. You know, it's. I just don't think that they're at an agreement yet. Yeah. And then we get to one of the otter stories around silly season. So according to Autosport, so you got to take this. Well, Autosport, they're, they're probably about 65 70%. Mm-hmm. Right, most of the time. Autosport is saying that Lance Stroll has been linked with a move to Force India next season, with the Canadian admitting that his Formula One future may not be with Williams. Now, I can agree with the his Formula One future may not may not be with Williams, but really, Force India? Money. That, that's the only thing I It's money. Is that... And even uh, Autosport acknowledges that this would be a money play for Force India as they try and move up more than anything else. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, your anti-stroll sentiments will show very quickly. But, yeah, it's all, it's all dollars and cents right now. And I think that for Williams it will be what can they get out of getting rid of him. You know? And in that respect, I've then got to wonder, one, how much money is Sorokin bringing in? If if they even decide to keep Sorokin around, um, how much money is Sorokin bringing in? And given how cash-strapped they admit that they are at this point, what are they going to get as a replacement to Stroll? Because as much as, yeah, I don't like Lance, Lawrence is writing big checks for them. Right. He's writing huge checks for them. That's a big gap that you've got to fill. On top of the fact, let's not forget that after this year, they lose the martini money. Right. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So now this is where things get really kind of odd, weird, convoluted, twisted. So in order for Lance to leave William, even, even taking what we think about Lance out of the picture. Okay. In order for Lance to leave Williams and go to Force India, he's got to have a seat there. Right, which means one of the two Force India drivers can't have a seat. Right. Well, so let's look at Renault. I know, (laughs) spin it around. okay. Okay. Renault is trying to figure out, they don't know what's going to happen long term with Carlos Sainz. Right. Because at the very least... Until um, Daniel Ricciardo signs for Red Bull, Carlos is still tied to the Red Bull organization, and Red Bull could pull Carlos back. Okay. Which would free up that potential seat. Renault really wants a French driver, driver in that seat. It does not sound like they have any interest at all in terms of future potential for Roman Grosjean at this point, which just leaves Esteban Ocon, who has been driving very well. Yes. Now, Force India has said they want to keep Ocon, but I they haven't signed anything yet that I know of. So if that they, they can't if Renault can't keep signs, 
that leaves the possibility that Ocon could leave Force India and move to Renault, open up room for Stroll to move from Williams over to Force India and take them down. Which means that Sainz needs a seat and Williams will have a seat. And Sainz is a good driver. Sainz could be, and, and, and that could be the other dot there. And I think Sainz could be a good asset to Williams. Um, I'm not sure right now, and it's a shame, but I'm not sure right now that that's a step up for Carlos. I don't think so. It's I don't think it's a step up either, but it could be a real opportunity to turn the team around. But the other thing I have to wonder is, does it make better sense for Renault to let Sainz go if he becomes available or to let Nico go? You know, letting Hulkenberg go would make me very sad. I know, but... Nico also, in terms of Formula One, I, I, I think at this point, he hasn't filled, fulfilled his promise. Right. He hasn't won a race. I think he's gotten a podium, but he hasn't won a race. Sure. And I, I think in terms of his potential, he may have plateaued a bit in Formula One. I, I, I still think that there's plenty of room for him to go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But I think in Formula One, he may have plateaued. And I don't see him at this point being entertained for a seat in a Mercedes or a Red Bull or a Ferrari or any team that's truly going to challenge in the next three years. That's the problem is Hulkenberg has literally won every series that he has been a part of. And except for Formula One. So he is an amazingly good driver. But just putting the pieces together has not worked out for him in the Formula One world. Yeah. So back over to Williams. Yes. They had an awful, awful, awful qualifying in Silverstone. Correct. Um, pretty much they didn't. Back of the grid. Yeah. Um, well, Patty Lowe says they have figured out what the issue was and and – uh, because of this, what they actually did on the car was they reverted to an older specification of the floor and the rear wing. Um, he says the problem that they had in Silverstone was primarily the result of changes they made to the floor in the diffuser area as well as some aerodynamic fences. Um, that's what um, he said in Silverstone. They made a step on Friday with modifications to the diffuser, which were actually an improvement in cornering and took them forward to the race but they had a side effect of putting the car intermittently into stall in the use of DRS, and that's what we saw. That's why they went off, is that DRS flap closed, they stalled, and they lost all their downforce, and oh. they went flying off. Yuck. Um, he says it was something that was, entire, it, it, that was entirely unexpected as a side effect. We understand that now, and we're not running those parts anymore. <laughs> He says it was not related to the rear wing. He can't say not entirely because these things work together, but the prime cause was not the rear wing. Okay. So they know what happened there. Now over at Sauber, who, let, let's face it, uh, outperforming expectations this year. I can, we, we both kind of figured that they would be pushing the bottom, and we are not there well. Um They've announced that they are ending their development on their 2018 car next week. Okay. 
so that they can focus on the 2019 car, which the owners of Sauber have decided to target fourth place in the constructor standings for 19. What an amazing difference this team has shown by not being under the directorship of Monisha Keltenborg. <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing when you decide to, uh, well, when you find somebody who knows how to count to two. It's true. Counting to two is important. And recognizing that maybe this is not the right time to abandon your engine. Right. And maybe taking on last year's undeveloped Ferrari engine is not going to advance you on a grid that is moving at that kind of a pace. Yeah. Now, to be clear, yes, they're doing better, but they are still ninth in the constructors right now. But they're ninth, not tenth. True. And Charles Leclerc, and and, and I think a lot of it is, is Charles Leclerc, But Charles Leclerc has been performing extremely well. Let's not knock that. No. He is certainly driving better than the car he has been given. Would we have expected a Sauber to make it into Q3 this year? No. And Charles has done it and done it more than once. Yes. Let's – yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's been a good year for them. I think four, fourth might be a little ambitious, but I I think fifth or sixth might be realistic though. Yeah, especially if they can keep the momentum going. Yeah. Now the the other question is, who gets slotted into that seat should Charles leave as expected? Well, you know they keep talking about Raikkonen. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's so time for him to leave Formula One. That That's where I think the question comes around, Kimmy, is which does he prefer? Driving a Formula One car or driving a Formula One car that has a chance of winning? True. And I don't know what the answer to that is with Kimmy at this point. I don't think Kimmy knows that answer. Yeah. But honestly, at 41 years old, the guy needs to start thinking about retirement. This is a young people's person's game. And even our Raikkonen fan friends are saying that he should go back to rally car. He was really good in rally. Well. Because you can drive rally car older. You can. And, and there are other options for Kimmy to move to if he wanted to stay in autosport. But I, I just I don't think he's at that level anymore. I, I think right now the car is flattering him and not him flattering the car. Well, I definitely think that that's the case. He is not flattering that car. Over to Haas. Haas has announced that they are skipping the Hungarian Grand Prix test, uh, the in-season test. Uh this is actually not related to Santino Ferrucci's troubles. Okay. Although typically these are tests that young drivers are given a chance to drive. However, Haas said that um, they don't really think that they need the test. Uh, Gunther Steiner says instead of participating in a test, they're using the time to analyze the data that they received from their recent Pirelli tire test at Silverstone and from past Grand Prix and from s- simulator work. 
between the data the drivers have been able to gather that is directly applicable to their driving style in their cars and the current run of five races in six weeks, they determine that their time is best spent at the factory. Interesting. And if you think about it and, and where we are, this buys Haas a little bit of time. because No, not a lot of time, but it buys Haas some time because when we hit the break, the factories have to shut down for two or three weeks? Yes. 14 consecutive days. So by not going to testing, they instead can go back to the factory and work on the car and work on developments for two days. Right. I mean, it's not such a bad idea if they don't feel that they need to be out on the track. Plus, keep in mind, I think parts are a bit of an issue for Haas. You know, they've come to, to tracks and not had all of, you know, a full complement of replacements to stuff. Yeah, we don't know if that's still, I mean, it certainly was the beginning of the season. We don't know if that's still an issue with them. Um, that being said, looking towards the future, right now, Haas believes that they need to expand the organization, but they say they're not comfortable doing that. Hmm. The reason for that is because of the uncertainty over the 2021 rules. One of the things that has been discussed around a cost cap is also a staff cap. Uh, so Haas doesn't want to get put into a situation of hiring folks only to turn around and be above a potential staff cap that comes into place with 2021 and having to pair back. Got it. So they're kind of in limbo here. Okay. Speaking of the FIA and new rules, uh, in Hungary in two weeks, uh, the FIA has called the team technical chiefs together for a special meeting in order to discuss potential changes to mirror rules to improve driver visibility. Okay. Um, so this specifically comes in relation to uh, the incident between Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Vettel in Austrian Grand Prix qualifying when the Renault had to go uh, off the track in order to give the Ferrari uh, some room. They went... Uh, Technical officials from the FIA actually sat in both cars and looked at the visibility that was available to the drivers in the cars and said, yeah, this isn't sufficient. Got it. We need to come up with a better plan. So this is the idea. And actually, their thought is that they may want to get a technical directive in place for Singapore. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, according to Nicholas Tambasi, He's looking at potentially a technical directive uh, that would change the evolution of car designs uh, that would impact the upper, upper surface of the side pod and the lower regions of the rear wing that were blocking the rear view of high-rate cars. Interesting. So we don't know how this is going to look right now, uh, but he also says that he believes that the trend for high-rate cars had made the mirrors much less effective. Um there's a possibility that what they're going to do is stipulate a specific location for the mirrors. The other technical piece that was rolled out this week was the uh, solicit or the tender process for tires from 2020 on. Okay. Um, new specifications that are included in that. Um, the expectation is that front tires will be narrower, 
dropping from 35 millimeter or, or dropping by 35 millimeters to 270 millimeters and the rears will stay the same at 405 millimeters but diameters will increase from the current 670 meters to between 700 to 720 millimeters the reason for this is because they want to go to 18 inch wheels for the 2021 package oh okay the other thing that is being discussed or, or that was included in this would be a ban on tire warmers so explain this to me because in pre-show prep i was like whoa nobody's gonna like that plan we might like them to have nice warm tires coming out of everything well the idea by doing this is that it forces whomever the tire manufacturer is to provide a tire that performs better in a wide, wider range of temperature conditions. Oh, well, there's a good point. There you go. So that's one of the big struggles have been this year is that those tires either overheat or they're too cool, too cool, and they don't perform well. If you take the tire heaters out of the equation, you force the manufacturer to come up with a tire that performs better in a wider temperature range. Well, and that also can help post a safety car. Yes, and this is something that actually the teams are in support of, despite the fact, as they acknowledge, that they do have um, a strong process in place for working with the tire heaters mm -hmm. or the tire blankets. They're open to, these, to them going away from those blankets now. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder if there'll be other shenanigans about getting heat towards those tires like, will you have two team members standing there with warming fans on the tires? Well, they're not technically tire warmers, but we're warming the general area of the tire. I, I think the idea is that, you know, Formula One's one of the few series that actually does allow tire warmers. Mm. Um, and that if the tires are designed properly, that's less of an issue. Well, I do like the idea of tires actually designed properly. But the other issue that is tied into this is moving to 18-inch wheels. That means lower-profile tires, which means a complete redesign of the suspension system of the cars. Fantastic. Now, added on top of that, did you catch the time frame for this contract? No. 2020 to 2021. When is the rule change supposed to take effect? 2021. Or excuse me, 2023. 2020 to 2023. 2021 is the rules change for the engine. Right. So it's a year before the engine changes. So what they've turned around and they forced the teams to do by going with this, with this idea, is that the, the last year of the rule specifications, they have to completely redesign the suspension systems of their cars for one year before they go to the new rule set. And they want to save costs. They say that's not a cost-saving method unless it's a, allowing, now work this out with me. What if by doing that you allow an extra year on the suspension because the suspension should be transferable with the new rule changes because it's an engine spec. Nobody knows yet. But if that's the thought process that they're moving so they're only going to have an engine change in 2021 and they can move up the suspension change they can shake things up a little bit in of uh, the last year of the engine 
but let it preview for other but but the other thing that we don't know and and this is what makes it challenging from a tire producer perspective i mean the the chassis issue is the concern from a, a constructor perspective but from a tire manufacturer perspective you're doing a major change to the tires one year before a major change to the rules package that you do not know the downforce. You do not know the stress. You don't know anything that's going, which means you're developing a tire for one year to throw it out to develop a whole new round of tires, just like the teams have to do it. Seems totally reasonable to me. Yeah. That's, this is the world <laughs> of Formula One. It's a world of contradictions. The other thing is that uh, this is being put out as a sole source contract, so still no tire war coming out of this. No, Pirelli will win that again. Well, it depends on whether or not Pirelli wants to do it with these kind of rules. You know, Pirelli's not 100% happy with this either. Well, it doesn't always put them in the best light. I mean, as a mar- as a marketing function, these are not great yeah. things for them well you know when when your tires are blowing up because of crappy rules but all people see are that the tires are blowing up exactly. it doesn't help you sell tires exactly in track news so this coming week the 26th it was on the agenda for a vote uh down in miami on what would ultimately be a 20-year plan for formula one a 10-year contract with an option for another 10 years. Okay. Um, that would include uh, running, and they're saying running the race starting in October of 2018 along with a fan festival in Bayfront Park. Okay. Um, as we have mentioned before, four of the five commissioners had to vote in favor of the contract in order for it to be approved. Four of the five have expressed support, but there has been opposition from residents. Now, keep in mind, the groups that are against this are pretty much against, oh, any kind of special events in the year, including, oh, concerts. Yeah. So these are true NIMBY folks. <laughs> but the decision was made to push the, dis- uh, push the vote back until September. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if that'll affect the fan fest in Bayfront in October. Um, They've also made some changes to the track layout yet again. Uh, This time adding uh, some extra corners on once they go across the bridge into uh, Port Miami and Dodge Island. So originally it was basically you go across the bridge, hairpin, back across the bridge again, and down in the bayfront uh there are they've added five corners in the port okay it's still not a great layout but we're getting there (laughs) i guess maybe they're thinking about it yeah i don't know so our last story yes um we'll move over to formula e Last weekend over at Formula E was the season finale for the 2017-2018 uh, Formula E season, the New York e which um, Jean-Eric Verne is your 2017-2018 Formula E driver's champion. 
Do you ever think that Jean-Eric Fern would be a champion when he drove Formula One? I don't know about that. I mean, he was a decent enough driver. He, he got kind of a raw deal, but he was a decent enough driver. Okay. However, uh, after winning the race, he uh, got hit with a penalty. Oh, no. Yeah. He was wearing the wrong underwear during the qualifying session. The wrong underwear? Yeah. Now, this is not the first time that this has happened, as you'll recall. Uh, back, I believe it was it, for the Argentina race, uh, Luca Degrassi, who was the defending champion, also got in trouble for wearing the wrong underwear. Yes, I remember that story. You would have thought that in light of that, that all the teams would have made sure that there was appropriate underpants for everybody. Well, it wasn't just John Eric Verne who got in trouble, but his teammate Andre Lotterer, also former Formula One driver who we absolutely thought was not going to go anywhere after watching him drive, uh, he also was involved in an underwear. This is underwear skate gate. Under gate. Both of them got two penalty points against their racing license and $5,900 in fines uh, for this transgression. Now, the whole idea, I guess, is it's not a wrong material issue, but it was the length. Mm. Yeah. Gotta have the right stuff. It's key. Now, the, the reality is it's a safety issue. Mm-hmm. That's as the much whole as it's reason funny why. to think about. It's goofy, but it's a safety issue. Uh, and But they were wearing non-compliant underwear pants. How dare they? So that's all we've got this week. Uh, Go enjoy what may be the last ever German Grand Prix. Yes. You know, I I think there needs to be a race in Germany. The problem is I'm not sure there's a good track to have it at. (laughs) There's that. You know, I, I, I hear such mixed mixed opinions about Hockenheim. Mm -hmm. Supposedly the drivers don't like it, but supposedly they do, depending on who you talk to. Supposedly the facilities suck, but supposedly they're great, depending on who you talk to. Um, Nürburgring, I don't think anybody liked. Yeah. I don't know what other options there are that they can bring Formula One to in Germany. I, I mean, I think there needs to be a race in Germany. I do too, but again... It's making that right combination, and the truth is it's really hard when you don't have governmental backing to have a profitable race. Well, see, and that's the other thing is with the change in management, is that as critical? And that's the question. We don't know. And we don't know what Liberty is doing to save a German Grand Prix. All we know is that the contract ends this year. And there is not currently a contract in play for next year. So what do we do with that piece of information? Right now we have to wait and see. Yeah. And on that note. We'll be off next week because we'll be down at Mid-Ohio. So watch the IndyCar race and see if you can spot the bloke and the bird and the boy at the race. And hopefully we will return in two weeks much healthier. Ha, that would be nice. (laughs) And on that note, we'll call it a show.
we are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.